Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today? I have missed being here, so this is good. This is fantastic. Yeah. So we've got a great guest today. We have Kimberly Wilde, the strategic samurai. Hello. And Alan Irwin. Hello. I, I didn't know you were an ambassador. Am I supposed to give you a title? Do you I have am, a title? For I am ambassador? an ambassador. And is that like your honor? I know there's a title for ambassadors. You're supposed it's to address ambassador. them as... It's uh, ambassador. Oh. Well, your lordship. Okay. <laughs> well, your lordship. Your <laughs> Thank you for it, having me. Actually, the ambassador is a... There's a longer story with that, but it actually opens a lot of doors mm-hmm. and allows me to uh, kind of have this uh, diplomatic immunity from spreadsheets, number well, one. Nice. It's earned you quite a lovely facility here. This uh, 14-room mansion is astounding. <laughs> I'm impressed with this polished table. It is. Uh, it's the black ebony. It's, that's, <laughs> it's throwing you off. That's what makes it, yeah. It's, it's so dark, I don't even see a reflection. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, to the person who's listening right now, uh, uh, I hope your seatbelts are low and tight, your tray table's in the upright position, because we are going to take off. This is actually the second conversation we've had. And well, here... That's correct. We, yes. we do talk from time to time. Well, uh, often. And what we're talking about is um, about performing, about public speaking, about presentation, and about uh, really it's about communication. And there's two, there's a lot of different things I want to cover. We had one, uh, uh, we did a webinar uh, earlier this year. It's uh, a lot of people have listened to it. It's done really great. So I, I'm not going to cover that ground. I want to go in different areas. But I really want to think about the person who's listening is a, a, a small business, about 50% of our audience is small business owners, and they've got to communicate all the time. It might be with just one person. It might be in a, a small conference room or it might be in front of investors or they get invited to speak. As we know, someone um, on Monday is going to speak in front of 2,000 people, mm. and that's a little nerve-wracking. Mm. And so what I'd like to do is start off with um, – the idea of story. And I think when people are preparing a talk, they tend to think about like the meat of the content, that thing they've got to get across. And they don't put a layer of story or how could they turn it into a story. So Ellen, why don't you take that one? Oh, I wanted that one. All right. <laughs> uh, actually, Fine, Ellen. So we're going to practice, we'll practice chivalry. I was going to say, you're, you're by far the better construction of stories. You, you, I'm, I'm a goof. I take the <laughs> material that's in front of me and try to make it more entertaining. But you craft story. You're the one who's really good at I mean, you're after me to craft story. I love stories. But you're so good at creating the story. Wow. So. In, in a facility like now, this, now, how could you? <laughs> so now, now yes. kids. All right, all right. All right, okay. So, no, you're so, better. No, you're better. No, but, you're but better. How, so the, the idea is how do I look at that talk I'm going to give, which might be the what my business does or... All of that and how do I make it a story and why well here's the thing people learn through stories right so if you can use a story from your life that's very personal that will connect your audience to you far better than anything else 
that that's out there, really. I mean, if you share your story, something that happened to you, something that's interesting, something that's horrific, something that's glorious, if, if you share some kind of very personal story with your audience, first of all, you'll captivate them from an attention span perspective because so much of public speaking you're battling against phones and Mm. distractions Mm. and all kinds of other things so if you're telling a compelling story where your audience whether that's an audience of one or an audience of two thousand is hanging on your every word they won't want to look away right so so that's so key in in creating and crafting a story, no matter if you're teaching them financial information or you're presenting something to your board of directors, imagine starting off with a very profound story of something happened to you, which has meaning to you and your life. Chances are it's going to, they're going to self-reflect while listening to that story because it's going to have meaning to them as well. Yeah. And you touched on it. It's, it's the personal story. When you talk about trying to find the story, I'm sorry, I forgot to swallow the mic. <laughs> when you talk about finding the story, it's often looking at your own life. I mean, what, that's what connects people is personal reflection on stories. So whatever the topic is that you need to talk about, why is it important to you? How did it become important to you? What brought you to that topic? I mean, I, I speak on some of the most boring topics in the world, but, but the issue is really how do I find that commonality with others who are there to listen to me? Um, why do I find it fascinating? What what brought me to it? And that's where the story starts, mm-hmm. or, or finding the story. That's where it starts. And, and the more it's personal, so that there's some emotional connection. And again, I deliver some of the most dry material in the world, but to the degree to which I can make it personal and uh, immediate for somebody who's in a similar position, that's what, what is the story. So for those that don't know you, uh, right. what is your subject matter expertise? <laughs> I uh, am an engineer. I'm an expert on testing infrared systems. So we get into, Ooh. Uh, yeah. Ooh, ah. yeah, exactly. Analyzing imagery to find flaws in a camera system. And this is to very high precision. It's a government military sort of applications. So it has to be very precise, very well controlled, or at least well identified. And so when I speak to a group, it's usually a group of engineers, often extremely wonky engineers, and are looking to numerics. So for me to make it interesting, that's the key. Yeah. I, I want to hear your definition of a wonky engineer. Well, it's sort of a redundant thing, but I'm trying to really <laughs> elevate, the, <laughs> yeah. elevate the degree. Uh, there's, there's an annual conference once a year where these experts from all over the world sort of gather. And it's somewhere between the most you know, nebbish-looking professors and your most insecure, asocial high school nerd combined into one beautiful package that I love interacting with because I can identify with that. Mm-hmm. I can really find a mm-hmm. point where we can all come together in agreement and laugh about testing infrared systems and so high-end optics. How do you, you, you said find the story. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to put my Sherlock hat on for a second. Sure. And so I want to discover, I've got this in your case, it's, you know, infrared testing systems, sure. but it could be whatever technical subject, someone's trying to communicate are there is there like a process to finding the story in that how do i as a detective what do i do first you're probably better at describing the process but i I will say that for me it's again finding that common point i realize that for instance one of my immediate connections with the audience is to reassure them that nobody is an expert in this field from school we all learn this by being out in the field Mm. nobody teaches Mm. 
this particular range, or very few people teach this in school. So we're all coming into, the, into this with a certain level of insecurity, and that immediately, you can just see the relief in everyone's face when I start telling my story of coming into it and connecting with them at that level, and then we can start going over the material because it doesn't imply that anybody not knowing something is somehow inferior. And if you know engineers, that's number one. <laughs> you don't want to be seen as not knowing things. That's true for any audience, isn't it? Sure, but I'm an engineer, so I can speak from that personal experience. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's what I can connect with. And so for me, it's finding that story and, and being able to tell it in a way that's brief and connects with the audience. And I think that that's so true. We, our life is made up of stories, if you think about it. I mean, in your day, from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, you are collecting stories, whether you realize that or not. I mean, funny things happen hmm. all the time. Yep. Hmm. And I love to say the bigger the failure, the better the story. So I am, I'm, I embrace failure, bring right. it, because I know a great story is going to come out of that and right. I'll have all of some material and for my next talk, you know. So um, for me, I draw a lot of my stories from my sports background and there are just hundreds of examples of things that have happened to me, things that went well, things that didn't go well. And I use those lessons that I learned and apply those to business. And that's where I, I find the story. So when we're talking about finding the story, you think about something that happened and what is the lesson mm. that came out mm. of that experience? And then you can almost back into it in creating your story. Right. So you work backwards. You could. Mm -hmm. You mentioned vulnerability earlier. And I know that people are already fearful of the stage. Right. Mm-hmm. And now we're saying, and be, be vulnerable. vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> and what's wrong with that, Mark? <laughs> Just kidding. How, how do you, uh, Kimberly, you're, you're a noted uh, speaker coach. You do workshops all of the time. You've trained TEDx speakers. You've trained someone who went on the main TED stage. And being vulnerable is a big part of being successful at TED. How do you get your, the person you're coaching to live that, feel that, and, and be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Without just saying it. Does oh, it look, right. What does that look like? If, yeah, don't even bother if, to, to just say it. But to be vulnerable means to expose yourself at your core level by, and again, this is through story. So by telling a story that you might not want everybody to know, mm. but the more you can let the outside world in, the better connection you'll have with the outside world. And it's really interesting what happens in that transformative process as you become more and more vulnerable, I've experienced this myself, it's powerful. There is incredible power in vulnerability because as an audience member, I don't want to see perfection on stage. Then, mm. then it why becomes- is that? No, Why it, is that? Hold that, why is that? It becomes robotic. Mm. And, well, and Or unachievable. And, uh, and, yeah. and achievable, too. And, and in some cases, boring. You tune out. If someone is so perfect, so polished, it's, it's, you cannot identify with that. However, on the other hand, if I can see your scrapes and bruises, and um, if you are vulnerable and you share this extraordinary experience that you went through, we root for the person that has gone through the fire we root for that person the person who is already on top of the game and and got there easily it's not 
very exciting. There's not, there's n- then the story is not as exciting to follow right. for I an think, audience member. I think one of those classic stories are overcoming obstacles. It's not just, uh, you talked about your failure leads to a story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the opening. I mean, I think people want to see that failure, but also that you have overcome it. That, yes. that there's the failure or whatever the obstacle sure. was, the beginning of your story, your, your journey, and that you've overcome it by the end and you can get there. And that's what I think is very, one, it's identifiable for somebody, and two, gives them a sense of achievement or, or an achievable goal uh, and see somebody else who has achieved it. So, so all of those elements become important in a story. I think that's the classic mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. So the person who has a kind of a, just a, a small service business and they're going to go give a talk at the Chamber of Commerce or the Rotary or something like that, you would advise them to, it might be a story of how they started the business, some obstacle they overcame. And I know you talk about conflict. So how does... Great you know, stories have conflict. Mm-hmm. You you have to have conflict to have a story. Well, I, I mean, you know, we opened up an embroidery store. Where was the... How do you help them find the Well, that's the, the thing. So I would challenge you, is that the story you want to tell? Hmm. I know you have an embroidery store, store. I see it. I know that you're the owner of that store, but that's not interesting to me. What's interesting to me is how you you know, came to the United States with $5 in your pocket and, you know, you didn't know where you were going to live, but you figured it out and you overcame all of these odds and now you own this store. That's interesting. That's so you, a story. So everybody, you think that you can probably, you, you believe that in, in, if you drill down into everybody's uh, experience, inside of that, there's got to be some kind of moment where they rose above uh, nothing, nothing ever arrives simply. So you're saying that there's always, there's always got to be something in there. I yes, I believe everyone has a story. Now they vary on degrees of how dramatic those stories sure. are, but even you have a story in in the lessons you were taught as a child. There might be something that your grandfather told you when you were four. But you remember that and that transformed your life or the way you look at life or the lessons you've hold on you held on to those words that he said all of these years. You might not even know that you were using that as the platform for your decision making. Right. But you and, can and trace I think it back. Having having seen your work, I think that's a lot of what you do is often pull stories out of people. The last session we did, there were several people who didn't think they had a story. And as right, soon as you started right. talking to them, you realized, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's this, like, what? how did you overcome that? And uh, to the point where didn't even realize that there was something that you'd overcome. So that is what it usually consists of, is, is making somebody aware of their obstacles sometimes that, that, that they were able to overcome. Mm-hmm. So how much of... Again, I, I keep hammering on this because I'm thinking of the thousands of talks I've given, and I've never had a personal story in there. And and they could, I'm sorry <laughs> for, and, for all of those audiences. Is that what you're saying? And she's attended a lot of them. <laughs> and yet, in the last year, um, as I've become more familiar with this, I, I think the public speaking is a thousand percent better as a result of that. How? How do you convince that? I mean, give me that that hook that says you really have to do this. This is so critically important. Here's what you do. Treat it as an experiment. Okay. Give mm. a talk the way you've always done a talk. Tell the story about how you decided to start your business and maybe it's not very exciting and, and you just tell it's a factual, you know, factual mm. talk. This mm. happened, this happened, this happened, here I am today. And then tell that same um story in another way with using something personal that happened 
in your life, which then eventually led to you opening that business and see how your audience responds. That's a great, so I would give some action, some homework to people to sit and try to, you can hit, it's okay to hit pause right now on the podcast. <laughs> and Go tell and, stories. And, yeah. and write that down, what it might be, what was the thing that led you to that business and then work backwards. And Kimberly, if, um, if someone wrote that story down and sent it to you, would you write them back and say, hey, that was uh, good or bad? And if someone actually does that, it would be, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, well, aren't you going to have show notes and stuff? It would be Kimberly at strategicsamurai.com. Yes. yes, and then yes. we'll have show notes. But if someone's doing that right now, some, somebody right. really might want to take action. They've got a talk coming up, and it's, I'd like them to work on that. So Another, wanna, let me yes. just add last thing here, too, is you can practice on your friends and your mm, family. Absolutely. So you don't have to practice in a hostile environment, which I can also speak to. One of the things most speakers think about when they go on stage is that the audience is hostile and the audience <laughs> hates them. Mm. <laughs> That's one a fear that, that a lot of people really. like I'm up here. I'm so nervous. The audience hates me. The audience wants me to fail. The audience thinks I'm going to mess up. And it paralyzes a lot of speakers in that way. Mm. And it is. In most cases, that's so far from the truth. I don't know about your audience, Alan, but <laughs> <laughs> my, my very hostile audience, your hostile yeah. audi audience. But but it, it's true. If you your audience, people have so much admiration for speakers who can get up in mm. front of mm. any person mm. and say anything. Mm. So they are with you and they are rooting for you and they want you to succeed. So that's just just a kind of a side topic, but a frame of reference. Realize that your audience is there for you. They want you to do well. So that's just a little bit of a tangent. But back to this exercise, you can grab a family member, grab a friend, and, and just tell them a talk that you might give in two different ways. And don't say anything. Don't set it up. Just say, please listen to this and listen to this. Which one did you like better and why? I can give you an even more uncomfortable exercise. Mm. <laughs> Videotape yourself and watch yourself yes. afterwards. Oh, mm. uh, no, didn't your stomach no. just fall out from under you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And we're back. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I think that that has been, I think I had, as many people do, you have that speech class in high school or college mm. where they, where they videotape you for the first time and mm -hmm. you go home and you, you, you just can't. It just hurts to watch <laughs> you yourself. Right. Well, because you didn't realize you walked like that. Yes. You didn't yes. realize that you stood like that. And just body posture is everything. Right. Or just the little like, verbal ticks mm -hmm. that you have that you don't hear yourself. Um, I don't um, know what um, you uh, mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm fine with um, whatever I'm um, um, saying. Like... Um, exactly. like that yeah like mm -hmm. how do you beat the ike or the or the like or the um what is what is one one tactic for going after that because that's got to be something you guys come in contact with we do video is truly one that. of your best friends in fact in practice in the practice regimen video with all my clients it's required. You have to see yourself. You are your own best coach. Yeah. And, mm. and the nice thing about videotaping yourself and watching yourself is that it is at least private. You can sit and look <laughs> at it and say, God damn it, why did I do that? You know, and, and walk through that. But that's the only way you're really going to tell. Your, your brain's been trained to not hear you do it. Mm. So you have to look at it on the videotape. And I think that's why it's so uncomfortable for us is that's when we see things unfiltered. We, we just automatically filter without thinking about it. It's the way we're built. So watching it on video. That's one thing. And yourself. another piece would be knowing your content because 
a lot of times you'll insert those words when you're nervous, those unnecessary words mm. when you're nervous mm. or when you're not confident with the material that you want to present. Mm. So you're searching, um, you put the um for something and, and like you put- Like a spacer or you, something. You put those right. words just to give your um, brain, as I just did, time to catch up to what you want to say. And so having a really great practice regimen, practicing before- you're called to do whatever the talk you're doing, have that, have your talk ready to go. Practice, 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 have it, have it ready to go. And you'll have a opportunity to correct those. I'm, I'm known as an extemporaneous speaker. It looks like I'm always speaking off the top of my head. And that's probably true often, but any speech I give, it's hours of practice. It's rehearsing. It's trying to trying to memorize it word for word. I give myself a lot of permission in the presentation to go off script, but preparation to avoid those sorts of ums and to sort of see where I go off naturally and try to correct that. So, practice, practice. That's a great segue. Mm. As we're thinking about, I think uh, Ted has proved probably the ideal length for a talk is about 18 minutes mm -hmm. from an attention span kind of thing. 18 minutes is quite a bit of content. And I, I don't think any of us are trained in how to memorize that mm -hmm. talk. How do you memorize a talk? I'm awful at it. I mean, I, I know I just take the beats and then I take the beats and I reduce them down to a, a letter and then I make a mnemonic out of the letter then I laser etch it on the inside of my <laughs> forehead. Literally, I do this. I have a visualization. And then I can do that. But if I were to have to do every word, so how do you do that? What are the tricks for that? Especially maybe it's a technical talk or there's a, just a lot of content to get through. There are so many tricks around. Oh, really? And your visualization is a good one. I, I, I mean, I can give different examples. Sure. And that's probably worth people searching for their own. But what I'm saying is not necessarily chiseled in granite. It's, You're the it's, expert. Today. Okay, I'm the expert. That's right. <laughs> Your idea of visualization is dandy. There's lots. I mean, it's Aristotle who had different rooms in the house, right? He imagined that when he hmm. walked into the foyer, he had his topic that was associated with that. And all of this demands that you've outlined your speech, your talk, so you have a sense in advance of where you're going to go and what the high points are, sure. and outline it to whatever degree you can. I outline, but I actually write out word for word what I'm going to say. Again, that's not what I actually say at the time of the presentation, but it's a way for me to get it out and for me to sort of organize my thoughts mm. and think about mm. metaphors that I may be using throughout it, all those moments. But the memorization is some sort of visualization. I actually use my fingers because I'm usually making a point in an order, and so I can associate a finger with a particular point as I'm counting off. Uh, uh. And then I will sometimes practice out of order, just kind of tapping a finger to make sure that I have the points associated appropriately and that I can go to them in any order. But when I make my presentation, it's in that particular order. Aristotle had houses. Um, there are uh, letter cues where you sort of have the primary topic, your, your major points in your outline. You associate a letter or a group of letters with each topic, so you've created a mnemonic and walk through it that way. And a lot of those sort of tricks for getting through there. Again, for me, it's actually being physical. Sometimes, often, if I have the freedom of moving around, I'll associate a portion of the stage with some part of my talk. Mm. So I'll go over mm. here, and I know that this is where I'm going to be talking about character, and over here, this is where I'm going to be talking about physicalizing, and I will move to those places mm. to kind of get myself into that mm. place where I can talk to it. I do that too. I love that. Yeah. Different places. I think it's so important to see the environment that you're going to be in, particularly if you're giving a talk to 
many, many people, you want to be really familiar with your environment and go there even the day before if you can. So you can be very comfortable on the day of and you can associate different places in that room with your talk. But of course, you in your rehearsal periods, you can just naturally move around to space and know, know where you're going. I was just talking to a client two days ago. We were working on her talk and it's it's really important, I believe, to go from outline to full written out talk, the mm. entire thing written out from beginning to end and rehearsing to that entire script. Now, you never want to say it word for word exactly because then again, it gets back to the robotic mm-hmm. feeling right. from the audience. But then you know where you're going. You're going. You you have a blueprint. So you you know, okay, I'm going to this point next, and here's the story that goes with that point. And then I'm going over here, and here's the story that goes with that point. So you, you have a blueprint for where you're going. You know the story inside out and backwards. You might switch around a word or a sentence here and there, but generally you know where you're going. I think, um, so back to this client I was working with a couple days ago, she has her talk written out and she doesn't have a lot of time before her talk, which is next week. And so I was suggesting that she take the written version of her talk and color code that in um, in colors that um, go from a primary color to another color. So not just red, blue, yellow, you know, just not, but very, there's you know, some progression. there's a progression of the colors and not... 200 colors, but like five colors most. And so in her mind, she can associate that color with the next section. And then to take it a step further, I said, take those colors, put them on a piece of paper, put them up in the room. No one's going to know what it is. Hmm. There's just this Hmm. Hmm. paper with some colors on it. Okay. Hmm. But she's going to know, okay, I'm on blue. Now that I need to talk about that childhood in the sandbox story you know so so it's a good reminder i, I for love i've not heard that before but it, it reminds me of uh, how pixar looks at story so we've heard of storyboards mm-hmm. and that's where in the cartoon world they'll draw out each scene and put it up and we they look at it right they actually associate color with each there's color in the storyboard but they think of the color for that scene and they have a completely separate room that is just the color of the story. And they watch the colors change. Mm. And it got me to thinking that possibly there's colors associated with the mood of the, that might inform what color you pick. Oh, it, oh certainly. Mm. If you start off with a really dramatic opening story, red might be very appropriate for that. Mm. I, I love that idea. That's So let's... So now let's Switch again. Uh, oh, just take my, it's not just necessarily about the order or memorizing the speech so much as the importance of creating the speech ahead of time and memorizing it. 18 mm. minutes may sound like a hell of a lot of time. I mean, it's a panic when you've got a blank page in front of you. But it's really easy if you're trying to speak extemporaneously to just yammer on on a topic. Mm-hmm. The other reason to have a script is to keep it tight. Thank right. you. And that's a big part of creating your outline, filling in the script figuring out your story is so that it fits within that time and memorizing to the script so that you keep on focus and get through that 18 minutes productively. Mm-hmm. So on that point exactly, I've found this happens to me where I go too quick mm. and I've got 30 minutes to fill and I look and I'm 11 minutes in and I'm done. <laughs> mm. Mm. Oh, 
questions. Oh, there's no questions. Or how do you adjust that timing and pace? Tap dance. <laughs> I'm just saying. Handstands are good. Handstands yeah. and yeah. tap dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Both things that I have merit badges in. <laughs> so I'm, I hadn't thought those would be These applicable. These are the two most helpful coaches I've ever that's, seen. <laughs> that's why we're the coaches. That's right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, tall guy, go do some tap dancing. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a valid question, especially as a, a fast speaker and somebody who gets through material a lot. That's, again, the pra- point of practice yes. mm-hmm. is to get a sense of that timing, that this should take X amount of time, and I generally speak to it too quickly. So how do I put in the pauses or the breaks or the stop to look at the audience? Now, I know there's a lot of material here to think about, but a f- big part of my work is interacting with the audience. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a big part of it. And even if you don't have the audience in front of you, if you're, say, videotaping, you imagine the audience. And looking at the audience, seeing their reactions, talking to somebody in the audience, that generally slows you down. Um, Not always. Again, practice is what does it. But it is looking at the audience and realizing you're trying to make a connection with that audience that will often adjust your pacing to match what the audience is needing or expecting or can hear. Does looking at the audience, because I... I l- that's one of my favorite parts of public speaking mm. is that audience interaction. Right. J- just it's a physical I thing. I love it too. Yep, yep. How do you um, stay on script? That's kind of hard because I want to be in that moment and present while I'm looking at the person, yet I'm still talking at the same time and I've got that next line to remember. But I, I mean, you're kind of mm. doing two things at the same time. Yeah, that's true. But again, it comes down to that practice. And for mm-hmm. me, I practice imagining an audience. Uh, when oh. I'm when I'm practicing, it's imagining the audience reactions. I mean, I'm not trying to imagine they're laughing at my jokes or to that d- detail. But the idea of what the audience will get out of what I'm saying, again, that's mm. part of the whole mm. writing as well, mm. is what's the level of my audience? What do I expect them to understand? So as I'm presenting or talking on a topic, if in fact, I'd say my worst topics are, are often technical talks where I'm not thinking about the audience. If I'm just trying to get through a mm. lot of material, mm. I do speak way too fast for technical material. And it's only when I stop and think about the audience that I'll start changing what I'm actually going to present to realize that they have to take it in. I'm not just trying to present. It's not a, a competition to see how much I can present in the shortest period of time <laughs> as I talk really fast. It's what can they absorb? Are mm. they going to understand mm. what mm. I'm trying to get to? And that, that changes the timing for me. I'm a fast speaker as well. I understand that. So it's more like a drip, drip, drip. It's it's that interplay, right? I mean, for me, it's always about the interaction with the audiences. I present. It's the yes and. It's here's my presentation. Am I getting a sense that you understand what it is? And I'll stop and go back. I I have Mm. many a time repeated a piece because I realized I lost them. And why? Um, And again, not necessarily a TED talk, but but other times I will ask again, especially when I'm doing technical work, did that make sense? (laughs) And I'm looking to my person or two that I've kind of picked out in the audience to see whether they get it. And if I get any kind of a no, I'll go over it again. And that's part of my pacing. Kimberly, you've um, you taught something called the power of the pause. Mm. What's that about? Because I'm I'm that's just reminding me of that. There are so many different levels that you can take your speaking to. So once you have practiced, once you have your content, then there's the whole performance side of speaking. Mm-hmm. And within the performance, now you're, lo- you're thinking at a higher level. So you can use all kinds of different vocal mm-hmm. tone. You can use pitch. You can use pacing. You can use the pause 
to make a point or to draw something out if you want to leave your audience hanging like that. So pausing does a couple things. One is it allows your audience to absorb the material that you're saying, but at the same time it allows your brain to catch up to what's next. So it's kind of like a treat for you mm. as a speaker mm. to, to have that pause in there and then your brain has caught up to what you're about to say next. It's just that little... Can I say this because it's beautiful what you're doing? Yes. And, and since it's all audio, nobody can see, you <laughs> physicalize everything. Every, everything she just said was very much physicalized. She was pointing at her head. She was twirling her hand. Everything was physical, which gave you an amazingly lovely pacing. And that's what we don't do often enough. And probably mm. when you speak too fast and I'm speaking too fast, it's because I'm looking at material and I'm not necessarily reading it. But it's as if I were just reading something on a board. Movement like that, that slows you down. It gets you to human timing uh, so people can understand. Beautiful. Oh, thank you, Ellen. <laughs> thank you. What did, what did we <laughs> Big learn? Big hugs. Yeah. We need hugs. <laughs> <laughs> what did we learn? Uh, motion creates emotion. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Did I, say, I like that. Did I ever say that? You did I, not. I didn't think so because that's really good. I'm writing that down in my big notes. Ooh. I have a giant wow. notepad almost as big as everybody else's in the room. Biggest notepad I've Isn't ever it huge? seen. That's right. It's all about the size of the notepad. I have a question now. You're Obviously, you've been in front of hundreds and hundreds of audiences. And Patrick, you're a school teacher. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> and you have, wow, I won't sir. say school, you're a yeah. university I was, professor. I was going to say, you said, you said that, and what I saw was the one-room schoolhouse on Little House on the Prairie <laughs> <laughs> with all of the Ingalls kids in the front row. When you just said that, I'm just like, yes, children, stop playing with your inkwells. That's what I thought in my head. No, it was, it was yeah. Yes. I, I, I was, I have been thinking as I've been watching, as I've been listening to you guys talk that, yeah, I mean, every, tomorrow morning I have to uh, go stand in front of 25 um, uh, students and explain them how to do something mm. yeah how to uh, i teach drawing and are you gonna uh, is there a story in there that maybe there wasn't but will there be tomorrow <laughs> um you know i think i probably i i that's the other thing i mean every everything you're saying is just echoing in my head of of what i'm doing of these telling these stories either about when i was in art school trying to connect it to where they're at or um you know growing up as a drawer or growing up you know this kind of this return to this this very analog the literal analog connection of having a pencil run from your fingertips all the way up to your brain uh, and make drawings so yeah i mean trying to speak while they're, you know, and they're drawing and I'm talking to them and trying to give them, um, you know, feedback and information is where they're at. Yeah, it's very tricky. And I, I love listening to this, this back and forth about this idea of pausing mm. <laughs> and, not, and not just overwhelming them, you know. Pausing is so powerful. Yeah. If you could have one weapon yeah. in your speaker toolbox, mm. it is the power of the pause because that one idea can do so many different things things I remember whether when you, you put the pauses me. just like I just did with in between words or you put uh, the pauses in between ideas it can be so powerful and your audience will have fun with it it makes your talk more enjoyable because there's suspense there's drama there's interest instead of just monotone and hitting you know ev- the same pacing throughout we we often talk about as educators this this time where you ask a question of your group even if it's a rhetorical one and uh there's an impulse to especially this american impulse to point to the first person to raise their hand and that's that's not always the you know you have to give your audience that moment to catch up with what's going on and not just catch up like they're slow 
but really they're deciding how they feel about what you said. Right. You know, and they're and it's not it's not a matter of you know who's smarter or who's faster. It's literally a matter of like they're reflecting, and so the more reflective ones often give better answers if you pause. And wait for everybody uh, to mm. develop their mm. opinion, not get on the same page, develop their individual opinions. Mm. Um, but it's a real tricky thing, especially when I was a, a young educator and didn't, you know, I was just like, oh, I want I want to be in dialogue with the most active person in my audience. But often that doesn't mean that they're actually uh, quantifying or taking in the information. They're mm. very often the ones that are just, you know really quickly firing and I'm looking for the person in the audience who's reflecting nice yeah. that's yeah building a bigger really story. delightful that's a wonderful way to look at it yeah yeah I like that pausing it's everything we'll segue to another area one of I in getting ready for uh, this conversation I googled um, the biggest challenges to public speaking as broad a category as I could get with 24 million results. <laughs> I'm going to say not Only? all of those. Yeah, no. <laughs> so and they we'll all said the same yeah, thing. This, this is going <laughs> to be a 12-hour podcast. <laughs> Thanks, I'm, Google. You printed them all out. How <laughs> <Yes>. convenient. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go one by one. Number those two. Were all those stacks of paper <laughs> were... We're going to go through I all I thought of it was them. insulation. That's <laughs> I said seatbelts. Mark Sylvester would print the internet. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's the, is that the title of our show? <laughs> Mark Sylvester prints the internet. Yes, I love that. <laughs> well, actually, so the, as I had two questions, but I'm going to go with this because we're laughing so much. Yeah. Um, God, we never do that. I th- there's a role, I think that there's a role for comedy in presentations. Sure. And I think there's a role in I comedy hope so. <laughs> in, in storytelling. Um, for those who know a little bit about me, my background is in computer animation. And uh, every year there was a big uh, computer film festival at our big trade show. Mm-hmm. And the, the stories that were the most well-received, uh, I, I used to comment that there were eight jokes a minute. Mm-hmm. No matter what it was, <laughs> they had purposely, they, sight gags, puns, double entendre, whatever it was, there were about eight jokes. No matter what, it could be a very technical thing, but mm-hmm. it was still eight jokes. Yet, when someone tries to be funny in a talk, it mm. almost always is abysmal. Yeah, but that's our first lesson, right? We're supposed to open with a joke, aren't we? Is that, isn't that? <laughs> that's where I'm going. Yeah. yeah right. I, I, that's, I think the confusion is opening with a joke when it should be opening with a story. Yeah. And often the stories are funny because the human condition can be very funny. And if we can identify with, with certain things, it, it's, I mean, that's the basis of all my humor things is truth and identifiable truth and making its relationships and understanding that, that that makes the comedy come out. So it's the story and often the story can be amusing, but the key is it's the story. But if you're writing that whole, you're, you're, not, you're not spontaneously being funny on the fly, mm-hmm. letting funny happen, as you say. Mm-hmm. The funny will happen. Don't try to be funny. The funny will happen. Right. Yet I'm now writing that. So mm-hmm. I've got to write jokes, maybe not Henny Youngman style one-liner jokes, but I've got to... I don't have to. Is there a, what is the role of humor in that? If we believe that humor makes us feel better about the story and they may not remember what you said, but they remember how you felt, how they felt. And hey, I really liked that. It was kind of funny. I enjoyed that. How do you coach people to do that? Because you've got to write that. I never write a joke in my speech. You don't? Never. But do people laugh during yes. your talks? And why do they laugh? Because I look funny. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, maybe not. 
Um, it's God, humor is such a delicate topic. It's I know. It's very much the interaction with the audience. I mean, that's for me. That's what humor is interacting with the mm. audience. I mean, you know, that's yes, I, I guess sure, the other sure, piece sure. I should make clear here is that yes, I do <laughs> infrared technical talk in engineering, but I also teach improvisational comedy, and, and that was how I met both of you. Um, and the key to improv that everybody gets confused with when they start off is they think it's a million jokes. They see a show and it's like, oh my God, those people are so brilliant and how do they write all that stuff? And that's, that's stand-up, which is its own wonderful ability, but not what I craft. What I craft is improv, which is two people working together to find truth and, and the humor comes out of that and, and the funny comes from that. And for me, when I'm uh, giving a speech or talk, it's a performance, but my other character is not a person on stage. It's the audience and I'm interacting with them and finding the humor there. So I... I, I, I won't say I never find humor in what I write. I'm sure there are times that I write something out and I think, oh, that's that's kind of funny. <laughs> I'll put that in. But it is not the point of the speech. And it's the humor interacting with the crowd that, that, that I find the humor. And I understand how delicate that is and how that's against what everybody says when they say start with a joke and get out there. And I, I think the idea of starting with a joke has more to do with the speaker than it does with the audience. To relax them oh, is the uh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and to think that they're funny. <laughs> well, what, yeah, what would be more horrifying than, than and, and unrelaxing than just dropping a bomb? On, yes. Yeah, like, like, oh, my God. Don't start with a joke. It's not funny. <laughs> you tell a joke and nobody in the audience yeah. reacts? Yeah. Yeah. Now roll, I feel better. Yeah. Roll, roll credits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a couple thoughts on this. One is anytime you, not anytime, oftentimes when you put jokes within your talk, they're going to feel forced, especially mm -hmm. because you're rehearsing them again and again and again. And they can feel very forced and not authentic, which goes back to our early conversation about being vulnerable. Mm. Some of the funniest moments come about being vulnerable. Mm. I will often... In my talks, humor will come if something goes wrong, because then, you know, the, the projector breaks or the something, something goes wrong. And then there's a great opportunity for yeah. humor right, right then and there just right. by being quick and, and just responding to the moment and being in the moment. But mm -hmm. I think it's also really important to, as, as we are vulnerable on stage then that allows us an opportunity to kind of play with that and play with the audience so we can kind of, if someone makes a comment, then and there's Q&A too, that's also a point where you can be playful. And so when you force funny, it's not funny. Right. If you can kind of think about it of being playful, then funny may come or may not come, but it's it's you give yourself freedom to express that there's also that subtlety of uh, there's also that subtlety of uh, attitude towards the audience mm -hmm. like you have to be convinced that the audience is not there to to ruin you i mean mm -hmm. they're not against you the audience mm -hmm. is like kind of even when i'm talking about a, a technical audience that may be hostile to my my results or something they're not trying to fault like i'm not necessarily trying to get me to fail and as soon as i get to something where we have commonality the humor comes out delightfully and that's that's that attitude that the audience is not out to get you. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's somebody you can play with. At least that's my push is that the audience is somebody to interact with in a delightful way. And another just last point on there, too, is I would invite everyone to experiment. Mm. Experiment. If you have something that you think could be funny, tell a friend this story, including what parts you might think were funny and see how they react or see how your audience reacts. As we talked about earlier your the video camera is the your best mm. coach. Mm. The second best coach is your audience. Your audience will tell you pretty quickly. Yeah. So All if right. you have a chance to practice on an audience before, right. you know, 
So let's talk about, I want to kind of wrap up here because Mm -hmm. I know that what I've heard is um, getting repetition, getting, you know, practicing. You've talked about Mm -hmm. practicing a lot, whether I'm practicing in private, I'm practicing to the video, going, practicing with friends. Um, What are some examples of places where people could go give talks where people are looking for speakers all the time? You don't wait for that one big talk a year, but I want to get some reps in. Where, Where could I... Where do you think I could go and volunteer to give a talk? Is that, is that well, you certainly do that? your local college. I mean, they right. I mean, they're always looking for guest speakers coming in, and yeah, absolutely. High school coaching or mm-hmm. uh, high schools, and uh, for uh, uh, career days, and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of opportunities where where young people are desperate to know what they're supposed to do in the in the mm-hmm. real world. A lot of organizations too, like there's in in Santa Barbara organizations for kids or different you know there's a lot of different organizations which will have guest speakers come in they have a once a month you know their once a month meeting where they bring in guest Mm, speakers mm. and they will welcome speakers who want to talk they're hungry for speakers also businesses in town will have lunch and learns where you have lunch and bringing in speakers even if it's it's not on a specific specific topic if you just want to get reps in uh, toastmasters there's plenty of toastmasters Mm -hmm. and they're great they're wonderful go to an improv class if you want to learn that sort of spontaneity thing um there are a lot of opportunities for people to try to broaden their skills that may not be specifically about what they want to talk about but but that idea of being in front of an audience and and getting those reps in and i just cannot stress that enough you have to get the reps in yeah. if if you want to be an amazing athlete you right. don't just show up at the olympics and hope we do well you know no mm-hmm. you put the reps in the work yeah. in we need to treat the industry of public speaking just like you would treat a professional sporting event mm-hmm. you've got to get the reps in mm-hmm. i love that that's a, a great way to end it 45 minutes just evaporated again <laughs> Uh, I, I appreciate this. Um, Alan and Kimberly, thank you so much. Um, Alan, how do people find you if they want to find you on the Internet? Uh, probably through the improv group. So Santa Barbara Improv or SBImprov.com uh, or Alan at SBImprov.com, any of those. And when do you have classes? Uh, our classes in Santa Barbara, Wednesday nights, 730 at the uh, Jefferson Hall, which is on uh, Santa Barbara Street. We've got the address and everything at sbimprov.com. You can look at that up. We've got maps and all kinds of things. And then we did an, uh, I did a blog post about six months ago on improv hmm. uh, and business, and I listed all the improv in the 805, all hmm. the schools that I could find uh, out there, workshops and things. So and and I would say there. the majority of people who go through an improv class are not like trying to be, at least in this area, are not trying to be performers and, and improvising on whose line is it anywhere or anything. They're, they're people who are trying to get more comfortable with speaking and getting in front of a group. Right. And, and that's really what it's about. And we're very, very comfortable bringing in new people with that. Fantastic. And Kimberly, now you do workshops. When's your next workshop? Because people might be listening to this forever. So how do they find out about when your next workshop will be? So my website is strategicsamurai.com and there is a workshops section on my website. So the current workshop will always be listed there. If we uh, are on a road show and not having any local, we'll, you know, have a coming soon but uh, we're right now we're doing Alan and I have a workshop ongoing workshop we're doing about once a quarter right now and um, we're we're looking at different uh, iterations of that in the future but it's basically taking you from any level to dangerous with your speaking abilities <laughs> <laughs> I love that at the end of the day that's right <laughs> 
<laughs> now, one of the things we do on 805 Conversations is um, we know that a great subject line, a great title will propel the talk to the top of the list of because when people are scanning through the episodes we have new people all every day new people are signing up and they look and they they pick one to scan so you get first dibs on titling this oh. talk i listen to a lot of podcasts they always come up with these brilliant titles and i'm never mm. the guy that comes up with the title what did we come up with that, that mark prints the internet mark prints out the internet how about the significance of story? Okay, Ooh, I love it. Boy. See, that's why I, this is called outsourcing the hard work. Oh, <laughs> oh, God, we should be taking Oops. your seminar. Yes. Did I say that with my outside voice? Well, I want to thank you Oh, look, again. the servants are here with the food. <laughs> oh, we we got to cut this off, man. No, 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 no more for me. Thank you. Is well, that, is that duck? <laughs> wow. That's, that's a different that's podcast. <laughs> that's a different wow. podcast. Well, thanks again to California Lutheran mm. University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting no, no partner, thank you, thank you. Pull String <laughs> Press, for this great studio. And Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 Connect Project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We thank them as well. More information at 805connect.com. Now, remember, uh, Patrick, how could people help us with the podcast? Well, per usual, the best thing you could ever do for us to really support us is uh, uh, go back into your podcast application there and give us a review. Let us know what is working for you and what isn't working for you. We love feedback, both, uh, both good and bad. Um, and, and secondly, just tell your friends. We uh, love more people here at the party. Well, we, uh, we're getting new. You know, I just found out there's seven people in Finland we're very, in, we're very big. We're very big in Finland. We're growing. Oh. We're trending in Finland. Well, and winter's coming. So <laughs> great obscure Game of Thrones reference there. <laughs> Not obscure. Uh, <laughs> is that Lutzfish? That's yeah. amazing. So I, I actually would love to hear from you personally. I've been studying. Um, I've been taking a podcaster course, and uh, I've been encouraged to ask the listener to actually write me. So just write Mark at eight oh five connect dot com. I I love hearing. I was at an event last week. And I ran into people who actually had it was in Westlake, and they had listened to podcasts on the drive down, and gave me really great feedback and awesome. ideas for stories. That's and great. Getting That's great. to actually talk to someone—it's that audience engagement with one-on-one. It was fantastic. So, until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. How do you get these? Awesome?